Good morning. I thought I'd start out with at least a minor wardrobe malfunction, but not that kind if you couldn't see. All right, let's not go there. Hi. It's good to see everyone today. It's, uh, it's gorgeous outside, if you haven't noticed, isn't it? I am feeling very blessed and uh, blessed to see you guys. And uh, we had, uh, it seemed like, Linda and I got out yesterday and it seemed like everybody kind of had the same idea. It seems like everyone's like, quarantine's over. But um, hopefully uh, we're not there yet. I want to hug a lot of people, and so people are kind of looking at me like, hey, Steve, how you doing? I'm like, hi. And so if I do that, I hope that as my brothers and sisters, you will realize that that is me trying to do the right thing. Because you guys know I'm kind of a tackle hugger, and so hopefully you guys will just realize that... Uh, I'm trying to show restraint and lead by example and not tackle hug everyone because I'm sure I don't have coronavirus. That's what people say shortly before they give someone the coronavirus. So I'm just being cool about it. And I hope you understand that I do love you. Also, um, if you haven't had a chance to see uh, this week's ramblings, I'm sorry, this week's out of the pulpit video, um, please do watch that. And yes, you may share it. Um, I, in fact, I encourage you to share it. I hope that um, it's of some encouragement to you. And I hope this lesson is of encouragement to you as well. And um, there's a lot of... I can already see that it's like when my kids are in trouble, they're really, really nice to each other. Like if, I make, if I'm on lockdown and I'm staring at them. All right, little kids make a wrong move, and you're grounded for a month. I mean this. Okay, don't disprove my point by poking each other. Most of the time, when they're under some sort of distress, they kind of come together. And I think being under distress, we've come together for the most part. I'm already seeing that starting to fracture a little bit, where people are starting to get angry with each other a little more. I know... I can see it starting, but maybe that's just because I kind of try to avoid problems before they come. What I'm basically trying to talk about is, again, preparing us for the world that we go back out into and making sure that we're shining Jesus' light wherever we go. I hope if we've learned nothing else from this lockdown, which still isn't over, that we've learned that, you know what, we could literally shut down the whole world and no disasters immediately arise. And as much as you thought it was important every minute of every hour of every day to be reaching for that goal or whatever it was you thought, the truth is, if you have to put that on the shelf for a while, your life isn't over. Why? Because this life is not the end goal. This life is not the end goal. And after you get your life ripped out from underneath you a couple times, which happens to most people throughout their lives, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you this is the way the world works. I'm 51. I've had the, the rug ripped out from underneath me once or twice. And you, some of you people are, uh, that are closer to my age are nodding your head. You understand. This world is not the end game. The world that is to come is the end game. 
And I just want us all to remember that. I already flip. I keep forgetting when I flip here at flip. Sorry, which is really cool. Thank you, Jason, for setting that up. But then I forget. So I'm shifting gears here a little bit, but staying on the same topic. Do you guys feel, or y'all feel, that God loves everything about you? Look at those faces. Huh, what is that? Does God love anything about you? Let me ask the question in a different way. Does God... What's that? Oh, I said it backwards. Thank you for saying that out loud because I didn't know what I said. <laughs> Does God love everything about you? Hmm, good question. Good question. So if God doesn't love everything about you... Why does He not love everything about you? Because really there's only two parts to you. There's the parts that God made, and then there's the parts that you made. Right? So, does God love everything about you or not? And this is where things get a little sticky. God doesn't necessarily love everything I have done in the past. I guarantee you He doesn't. He doesn't love everything I've done, but does that mean God doesn't love everything about Steve Gibson? No. Does that mean that God, even though I am sure that you have done things that God doesn't approve of, does that mean that there's anything about you that God doesn't approve of today? Is there any reason to say, to not say, I'm a holy, H-O-L-Y, I'm a holy, undefiled, and pure person. I'm a holy, undefiled, and pure person. Boy, he often, he, that preacher thinks a lot of himself. Next thing he's going to say, he has a full head of hair. No, but here's my, here's my point. Everything in the Bible tells us that Jesus gave something tremendous to us. And because of that gift, we have received holiness and purity through the blood of Jesus Christ, which washes us continually clean of our sins. 1 John chapter 4. So then, I'm going to talk about forgiveness today. And it's important to understand forgiveness from what, from, we've learned this a lot, why you need to be a forgiving person. The why you need to be a forgiving person is so that you don't make God mad. Okay? Well, I guess that's true. But there's the other half of why you need to be a forgiving person. And that's so you can receive God's love fully. Because you won't receive God's love if you're not a forgiving person. I'll remind you, the Lord's Prayer as it's called, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, forgive us of our debts as we 
Forgive our debtors. Forgive our, uh, the things we owe as we forgive those who owe us. Depending on how your translation says. Let's go to Matthew 18. And this is the verse uh, that was read this morning that Jesse read. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. So Peter comes up to him because Peter wants to get this right. That's the thing about Peter. He always wants to get it right. I don't, I, don't leave me any ambiguity here, Lord. Tell me exactly how many times I'm, am I supposed to forgive someone? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I'm, no, I'm not going to say seven, but I'm going to say 77 times or 70 times seven, again, depending on your translation because it's not really clear how to translate that term. It doesn't matter. The answer is a lot. A lot more than you think. How many times should I forgive someone? Well, take whatever you think and know that that's wrong because it's a lot more than that. However many times you think you should forgive someone. So, let's talk about forgiveness. Should, do I have to forgive everyone all the time? Hmm. Let me think about that. Do I have to forgive everyone all the time? Because people have asked this. Because some horrible things have happened to people, and some horrible people have done some horrible things. Well, let's look at Scripture. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let the Bible do the talking. I hope. That's my prayer all the time. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. There's the process right there. So if somebody hurts you, you don't go, that's fine, I forgive you. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, there's a lot of layers to that, but that doesn't mean if someone coaches and punches you in the face, you don't go, hey, you want to punch this side of the face too? That's not literally what Jesus means. I mean, how many times does someone come up and just slap you in the face anyway? Okay, if it's me, I smart off to my wife a lot, so I get slapped in the face more than most. Okay, I'm just making that up. Can't tell preacher stories on my wife. So, and if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, why does this number set? Why does my voice do that sometimes? Why does this number seven keep coming up? Why is that? Well, because seven is the number of godliness and perfection. And there's a clue in there. When Jesus talks about forgiveness, and the number seven keeps coming up, it's very obvious that forgiveness and grace is an attribute of God Most High. And when you forgive a person who doesn't deserve necessarily your forgiveness, which most of the people don't actually deserve your forgiveness on the face of it, but forgiving people as a matter of course, as just a way of doing business, if someone repents and you forgive them, you have the same policy God has. And that in and of itself should be plenty of reason why you would forgive if someone repents. 
But notice that he, he throws in there, first of all, rebuke the person. Okay? This is something that people don't do. People like to get mad and go, well, I'm just not going to talk to him again. He's a jerk. I'm staying. You know what? I'm not going back to that church. They're hypocrites. I'm not going to talk to them. They're, they're just rude all the time. I don't know what that voice was. Sorry about that. But people don't come back to church. And then, like, after investigating, because I'm like, oh, this person will try to find out about it. Yeah, they got mad about something 15 years ago, and they haven't come back. Oh, shame on you. Because certainly if I've done something against someone, I want to know about it. So part of Jesus' command is rebuke them. And that doesn't mean like, you're wrong. That's not what rebuke means. Rebuke means, hey, you hurt me. I didn't enjoy that. And I even, when I do counseling, especially with couples, I teach people how to state that they've been hurt and how to apologize. Because as humans, all of us, whether we're in a marriage or not, need to learn how to say, you hurt me in a way that's not mean, and a way to apologize, and a way to receive apologies in a way that's helpful as well. This is all very godly things. So remember, the onus isn't completely on the person who sins. It's also on the person who sinned against. To say, you've hurt me, and then it's on the person who did the hurting to repent, and then it's on the person to whom the original, to party two, to forgive party one. All right. It's like law class. But this isn't about law. This is about being like God. All right, so let's go back to Matthew 18. And Jesus is going to tell a parable here. And you may have heard it a lot, but I'd like to do a little bit. I, I always think it's better... To, if you, the more understanding you have of something, the better um, you can understand it. Wow, that's deep, Steve. Say that again. Are you saying the more you understand something, the better you understand it? That is, let me write that down in my journal. Okay, let me just say that in another way. I think the more information that you have, and when you're trying to understand something, the better you can understand it. How's that? Is that better? You guys said, yeah, Linda did this. Boy, that eye roll. It's like 3,000 RPM. Okay. So, Jesus continues on from where we were reading before, after talking about forgiveness. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And it really is ruler. Important guy. Important rich guy. And we'll know how important and how rich when we look at the amount of money involved. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Uh, I have no idea what that means. Okay, we'll fix that here in a second. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Well, that seems weird. They don't just come take the car or I actually have to sell them my wife and children. That seems harsh. Well, again, we'll look at that here in a second. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. 
which as we read this, we're going to see that that seems highly implausible. And when you realize how much, uh, how much 10,000 talents is, there's little chance of him paying him back. But out of pity to him, pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt, forgave him the debt. So let's look at first century money. It's going to be this normally the kind of stuff we do on Wednesday. By the way, nod your head this way if you think we have pretty good classes on Wednesday nights. Nod your head this way. You don't have to. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to nod shame you. If you okay, thank you. That was emphatic. Thank you. Jade loves me if no one else. So um, I think we have really good classes on Wednesday nights, but this is the kind of stuff that we get into. So um, we're going to do a little bit here on Sunday morning. These are uh, the the money that they had in the first century. I know there's shekels and things like that, but um, that's not really mentioned. There's bronze azes, um, which there's 16 bronze azes to one denarius. And if you've ever seen a denarius, it's like this really tiny, tiny, like you're thinking, oh, it's about like a dime. No, it's not. It's a really super tiny thin piece of silver. And that was about a day's wages. Okay? So uh, the amounts that we're going to look at here... um, are 20 to 30, a month's wages is about 30 denarii, 30 silver pieces. Does that remind you of anything? Judas, right? 30 silver pieces, that's about a month's wages. Now, whenever I say this is how much it's worth today, people go, I don't make that much. Well, true, maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. So I tried to split the difference because... What's true today is that it's mostly two-income homes, and that wasn't true in the first century. It was one-income home, so I tried to split the difference because if I made it, because it used to be that men earned all that there was for a household. Anyway, and we'll get into all that stuff. So, approximately, just for sake of argument, or for sake of explaining this, I'm going to say, um, yeah, that's, I already did that slide. Why do I have two of the same thing? Okay. Um, so there's going to be two servants involved here. There's going to be, uh, oh, that's why. Okay, so 30 denarii is about $4,000 in 2020. You're like, I don't make $4,000 a month. You probably do. It's just, let's just go with that number. The actual per household income per month is higher than that, but the individual wage on average is lower than that, Okay. So don't, don't buttonhole me after the sermon and say, Steve, that's too, okay. All right, so there's two servants here. There's this, the master servant who we just read about is there on the right. And then there's another servant who's a fellow servant with the master servant. You with me? All right. So we're going to look at the amounts that they owed. The other servant, who we've not heard of yet, owed 100 denarii. And so you can figure out that's about three months' wages. A little more. All right. So we're going to say that's about $14,000. And the master servant owed 10,000 talents. Well, there's 53.99 silver pieces to a talent. So rounding off, that's about 45 million denarii. 
which is a lot of money. So that's $7.6 billion. That's $7.6 billion. All right. Those who laughed at that, thank you. I enjoyed the 90s as well. So that's a lot more money than just a handful. Even this picture here doesn't really do it justice. $7.6 billion. So the question is, if someone owes me $7.6 billion, how am I going to pay that back? Or, more importantly, if I'm the knucklehead that lent someone $7.6 billion, how am I going to collect it? That's going to be kind of difficult. All right, catch up with your slides, Steve. Stop walking away. So, let's talk about prison. <laughs> okay, that was a huge shift, Steve. That was the end of our lesson. Now let's just talk about prison. No, let's talk about prison in the first century. They're, they really didn't exist. There's a prison, there are prisons that exist that are from the first century, and this is the most famous one. It's the Mamertine prison in Rome. And it's believed that Paul was housed there and that Peter was housed there and others. Now, prisons back then were a lot different. You didn't go to prison for a long period of time. Prison was simply the dark hole they dumped you into because they didn't want you to get away. Remember, this is the first century. Life is cheap. Most of the time, if you commit a crime, they're going to go ahead and just... You know what, I've got golf plans this afternoon, let's just chop off this guy's hand or kill him or something because I've got things I need to do. That's really the way people were treated in the first century. And so um, this is the Mamertine prison in Rome. It, it used to be uh, a cistern where they would draw up water and it dried out. And this is actually predates uh, Jesus and Paul by 500 years or so or 600 years um, and so if you remember, you know, there's stories in, in Daniel and during the Babylonian period where people are just dropped in, and in, in Genesis, where people are dropped into old wells and old cisterns. That was basically the only prison they had. Um, so the thing about prisons was Jesus has an, gives us an instruction to visit those in, in prison. And I'm not saying that that's not valid today, because I think it is valid today that we should visit those in prison. But when Jesus is talking about visiting those in prison, if you were thrown into prison, you wouldn't be fed. You wouldn't be cared for. You were dropped in a dark hole, and if you were dead when they came back, no big loss to the people that threw you in there. So if you were going to get fed, and if you were going to get water, if you were going to get basic things cared for, someone was going to have to bring that to you, or you were going to die. So you didn't go to prison for anything more than a few days, or at most, a couple weeks. Certainly didn't go for years. So, what do you do if you're in prison? Well, once you start to get hungry, and the rats are gnawing at you, and you're really cold, and you have needs, you start to say, well, anything's better than this. Right? And so, you might go into debt slavery. And this is extremely common in the ancient world, going into debt slavery. So you notice in the story, though, that both servants are already servants. They're, they're basically um, slaves. 
So according to Roman law, if you failed to pay a debt, instead of coming to take your car, they would come to take you. And if you really owed a lot of money, they might not just take you, they may take your wife and your kids. This is exactly, this happened all the time. So when, when this story comes up, this isn't hypothetical. This isn't like, oh, Jesus is just trying to make a point. No, this is something that happened all the time. If you got too badly in debt, they're not going to say, well, let's work out a payment plan. This is first century Roman Empire. They're going to be like, no, you're now locked up. Your wife and your children, they all belong to me now. Because money matters way more than people. That's the way the world views things. So, this is also in accordance with Levitical law. You could voluntarily, according uh, to the Bible, sell yourself into debt slavery to repay a debt. So the wages, if you didn't owe a whole lot, the wages that you would have earned while you're in debt slavery are paid to the master until you pay the debt off. But when you owe $7.6 billion, there's really no way to work your way out of that debt. So for extreme cases, debt slavery became forfeiture of your personhood, which means this is what's happening in the story Jesus is telling. You no longer have a right to try to pay anything back. Okay, so what if you were a slave and you ended up owing a lot of money or stealing a lot of money? Well, that was easy. If a slave owed money, they just, well, you couldn't kill a slave and prove a point because you can kill a slave anytime you want to. So what are you going to do to punish a slave who can already be punished by death at any time? Well, you're going to have to create a worse form of death, aren't you? To make sure the other slaves obey the rules. And so that extra layer is crucifixion. Crucifixion is a death sentence that was for bad slaves. It's like dying twice. All right, so let's go back to our text. Matthew 18, 28. Now this is a servant who had just been forgiven of 4.6 or 6, I don't know what number I said. Billions of dollars. When that same servant went out, he found out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and grabbing him, he began to choke him, saying, "Pay what you owe." So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, "Have patience with me. I will pay you." He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So this other prisoner goes to debtor's prison. He says, you're not getting out until you or your family pays me what I owe. If you die in there, fine. Because that's what debtor's prison is about. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master what had taken place. So why does this servant go out and choke this guy? Well, because this servant doesn't have any rights. If you're a slave... No one can really owe you anything because everything you own already belongs to your master. So he, he goes out and chokes him because he's freaking out because he has no way to get it back. So he has him throw it into debtor's prison. All right. Um, verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you... And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly Father 
will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So there is a time where we are all going to have to pay. And what is God's debtor's prison? Well, being cast into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? It's something, there's always two sides to God. God is a loving God, but God is also a just God and a powerful God. And He loves the person that you hate as much as He loves you. That person may not have received the forgiveness of His Son, but He loves the person you most dislike as much as He loves you. And you need to not forget that. So, People say, and this is what I love, when people try to come up with things the Bible says because they recognize, well, God's way is the best way, but I can't say that because then I'd have to admit that the Bible is God's Word. And so they try to come up with things to say like, well, you know what? There's not like an... Im I don't know why I talk that way. Because I went to grad school with a lot of... Uh, therapists, and I guess that's just the way therapists like to talk sometimes. You know, forgiveness is a gift we give ourselves, isn't it? It's not about what we give to the other person. It's so that we're free of that burden. And so forgiveness is the gift we give to ourselves. Well, Jesus says, well, that's partially true. Forgiveness of others is a recognition of God's forgiveness to you. And that's the clear difference. You follow what I'm saying there? When you forgive others, you acknowledge, how could I possibly choke a guy out for owing me $1,400 when I owe him $6 billion? That doesn't make any sense. Every time you forgive someone, you recognize that what they did to you is minuscule compared to what you owe God. You don't want justice in this world because if this world were just, you would not come out alive. You wouldn't. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. So, does that mean, well, I should just forgive everyone? Well, this guy like um, abused everyone in my family and he said he's really sorry. Does that mean I have to forgive him? Yeah, but it doesn't mean you need to let him back in your home. Right? Be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. We t we've talked about that uh, before. We talked about it last week. So, we have to forgive everyone, but we have to remember why do we forgive everyone? Because we can't receive God's forgiveness if we're not giving God's forgiveness out. That's why Jesus says, forgive us of our debts, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
One goes with the other all the time. So if you're not forgiving other people, that's got to be eating you from the soul outward. It's not just because forgiveness is the gift you give yourself. It's because unless you forgive others, you will never be able to receive God's forgiveness. Not down here. When you receive God's forgiveness, you will be able to say, I am a holy, fully cleansed child of God. Heaven bound. No question about it. And if you can't say that, part of the reason might be that you are not forgiving others and not receiving God's forgiveness. That's why forgiveness is important. And that's why as we go out into the world, we've got to not make this about ourselves. Don't make your day-to-day life about you. If someone does something you don't like, who cares? Yes, you, can, you should rebuke them and say, I didn't like that. Because you shouldn't just say, oh, I just love when people kick me. It's great. No, but at the same time, you can, you can make it, you can say, I'm hurting. Jesus said, I'm hurting. But at the same time, if the world is causing you problems, that should just remind you of how much of a problem you are in the world. Does that make any sense? Listen to that again. Every time you get irritated or hurt by people in the world, that should be a reminder of how much you have hurt people in the world. When other people are acting selfish, that should be a reminder of how selfish you have been. I have people who keep asking forgiveness for the same things over and over again. And I know they mean it. I know they're sorry, but I don't want to forgive them until I go to pray and I realize I'm asking God for forgiveness for the same thing again. And when I don't forgive other people, I don't feel forgiven by God. When I welcome the chance to forgive people of the same old things again and again. Again, I'm not talking about someone hurting me or my kids. I'm talking about more like offending me personally. Every time I forgive, I'm reminded of God's forgiveness of me. And that really is a gift God gives to me. Were there too many twists and turns in that sentence? Every time I forgive someone of the same thing and I do see them trying to do better, I realize God has forgiven me for the same thing again. But He sees me trying to do better. That's the grace we give to others because that's the grace God gives to us. So the point of this story that Jesus tells is that we owe immeasurably more to God than any other person could possibly owe to us. And for some reason, God just continues to love us. And God just continues to put things... The more disobedient we are as children, the more God tries to create ways for us to come to repentance to Him. Why does he do that? 
It's because He loves us so much. He does. And so forgiveness, it's true. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself in a sense. But more importantly, forgiving others is the gift that God gives to you. And that goes along with that presence of the Spirit in your, in your heart and in your soul. That peace that passes understanding, that joy of the Lord comes from recognizing how much God loves you. God doesn't forgive us so that we'll, we'll realize how, how terrible we are and thank Him for it. That's not why God forgives us. God doesn't forgive us so we can go, oh God, I'm so bad. I'm so glad You forgave me. That's not why God sent His Son. God sent His Son so that we can go, I'm forgiven. Thank you, God. I love you. That's the right response to forgiveness. So if someone forgives you, say thank you and hug them and smile. And because God has thanked you, thank Him and hug Him and smile. Because you're forgiven. It ain't no thing. We're moving on. Let's just go love each other and have fun. But do better. Do better. So Anyway. I want to end the sermon with that statement. Whatever it was I just said. If you need forgiveness of someone, ask them. If you need to forgive someone, go forgive them now or today. And if you need forgiveness because you're not a Christian or because you've left and you need to, you need help finding that way back to God. We're here to baptize you this morning. We're here to pray with you. I don't know how much we're here to hug on you, but mentally I'll be hugging all of you. But please, if you have a need or you want to be baptized, come forward while we sing this song.